You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to the Together in Literacy podcast. I am really excited to be here today with Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. And we have a very special guest with us today. Um, On this podcast, we speak a lot about dyslexia and learning, and you've heard us discuss how dyslexia reaches far beyond learning how to read and write, and that the impacts can often have a cascading effect both socially and emotionally, but also can touch on other academic areas. And in season one, we spoke a little bit about how dyslexia and math can impact one another. And so today you are in for a really big treat because we have a special speaker who who specializes in dyslexia and math. So she's going to share some of her big takeaways with us today. So I'm really excited to, to delve into that. Before we start, we always like to share a little bit of feedback from our listeners. And we are really excited to get this feedback today. It was from the Iowa Reading Research Center, and it was in a blog post where they highlighted the Together in Literacy podcast. That was really fabulous. So check out that blog post. I'll make sure I link it in the notes. It's called Listen Up, Five Stellar Science of Reading Podcasts Worth Trying, and it's by Sean Thompson. And so uh, the author wrote, the hosts of Together in Literacy have never been together in the same room. They started with an online friendship, yeah, (laughs) that grew into becoming co-hosts, but you would not know it from listening to Emily Gibbons and Casey Harrison talk. Their conversation flows naturally as they explore a variety of topics related to the science of reading. A great thing about this podcast is that they sometimes brought in their focus from literacy instruction alone to discuss parallel topics, such as social emotional learning, and today we're delving into math. I love that Emily and Casey give the listener the space to think about literacy learning and dyslexia in this way, which can help us see students as a whole people who have complex and unique emotions about learning to read and school in general. So thank you so much for that feedback and definitely check out their blog post, which is linked in the notes. Well, yes, thank you so much to Sean from the Iowa Reading Research Center for that. Boy, that really, he said, here, read this. I said, oh my gosh, wow, what a lovely, lovely review. Really appreciate that. All right. So I've known this guest for some time now. And uh, you may, if you've been with the Literacy Nest, have seen her present from Bill for Building Readers for Life several years ago. And she has branched out beautifully. And so I'd love to introduce and share a little bit about Adrienne Meldrum. And Adrienne is the founder and owner of Made for Math. And that is an 
all online math center focusing on serving students with dyslexia, dyscalculia, and math learning disabilities. She is a certified multi-sensory math instructor through Marilyn Zecker. She holds a master's degree from Bridges Graduate School of Cognitive Diversity. Adrian is married with three boys and lives in Mesa, Arizona, where she enjoys poolside living. Well, that sounds like a dreamy (laughs) experience. (laughs) Adrian, thank you so much for joining us on the Together in Literacy podcast. Here we are in episode 16, and we have been so excited to have you just come and share your knowledge with us, with our listeners. And we know that we have not just educators, but we also have parents listening. So let's get started right away and tell us how you got started with using a multisensory approach to teaching math. Awesome. Well, first, I just want to say thanks for having me. Emily, we have known each other a long time. I think we both kind of entered online blogosphere around the same time, which is crazy. So it's been fun to watch you and see these mover and shakers in education. It's so much fun. So let's see, how did I get started? Well, I've been tutoring for a long, long time. My foray into education actually started in an autism preschool classroom, and I loved the one-to-one interactions that I had in small groups. And I honestly would say that ruined my experience in a traditional classroom because you can't have this big of an impact when you're working in a group of 30 children. So I, I left and I started doing tutoring on my own. And there was always these students that I just struggled to reach. It didn't matter if it was reading or if it was math. There was just a couple that I could not figure out how their brain was exactly working. And that never sits well with me. And so I started learning about dyslexia. And as you both know, once you learn about dyslexia, you can't unsee it. You see it everywhere. It's very prevalent in our society, more than people want to admit. And so it got me really thinking about, is there something similar on the math side? And so I started talking to friends and therapists and a friend of mine had mentioned, you know, there's like three people in the world. That's it. Three people doing this work. And one of them was Marilyn Zecker. Mm -hmm. And so I enrolled in her class and was hooked immediately. When I heard the techniques and I saw what she was doing, I was just so excited. And I'm I'm going all in. This is it. This is going to be a game changer. And sure enough, it was a huge game changer for a lot of my students. So I decided to become, you know, a certified instructor through Maryland, which is not a short process. Honestly, I think it took me six years. So it's not like it's this rapid experience. It's not. (laughs) You have to jump through a lot of hoops and really show her what you're capable of. That allows me to train my team at Made for Math. And so Anyways, it's one of the best methods. It's applicable for all students, but it's really essential for those kids with dyslexia that are struggling, those who have dyscalculia and math learning disabilities. It's a game changer for them. Absolutely. Yeah, I just love, oh my goodness, and you sharing this background and I didn't realize the extent of training that you had. And we know people who are trained in Orton-Gillingham, it takes a long time. Long time. (laughs) we are. So we just so appreciate you sharing that journey and how you're able to help so many students, even in the virtual setting. It's amazing. 
And so I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to sit in on some of Marilyn's courses, not to the extent by any means that, that you have. I'm so excited for your journey with your staff to be able to train more people in this method, which is so needed. But for those of us that are new to this approach, can you tell us a little bit about what multi-sensory math is? Sure, absolutely. So multi-sensory math has five components to it. And it's very akin to, you know, OG, it, they're, they're based on similar ideology. So of course it uses the senses. So it's involving, you know, hands-on experiences, lots of gross motor. We're using the visual, the auditory, auditory senses. And we're doing all of this at the same time because we don't necessarily know on what particular day a, a technique's going to work for a kiddo. You know, back in the nineties when it was like, oh, learning styles, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I only learn kinesthetic. That's not true. That isn't how the brain learns, right? And so by doing all of the senses simultaneously, we're increasing the opportunities of access into the brain. And that is a really important piece of part, which you ladies know from doing reading. And so it's the same in the math world. It's also systematic. Mm -hmm. So it follows an order of the most basic ideas to logical, and we work from what is known to what is new, similar to what you're doing in reading. If you look back at a literacy nest blog post, I kind of talk about that in that blog post along. It's, you know, it's several years old, but we talk about how we always start with what they know. We warm up with the students working on the things that they're, you know, practicing and they know, and then we start introducing new concepts towards the end. So it's systematic in that way. It's also direct. In mathematics right now, it's really popular to have students explore and come to their own yeah. realizations. Mm -hmm. That is the death of these students. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do that, number one, but also they struggle greatly to do that. So we don't leave them to explore on their own. We teach them directly and we coach them to see those connections through the student-teacher interaction. The fourth thing is it's diagnostic assessment drives everything we do. Our assessment is uh, unique in that it's, it feels more informal. And the goal of that is to reduce anxiety so we can actually see what the student knows. But we're constantly assessing to see how things are going and we go back, revisit to see if they're retaining. And then we bring those things into our instruction. And then the fifth thing is it's synthetic and analytic, meaning that we show how the parts work to make the whole but also how the whole breaks into parts. And so you're doing the same kind of thing in reading. And so that's basically the hallmarks of multi-sensory math. I love that. And for those of you who don't know, Marilyn Zecker is a certified academic language therapist. So that is how she transitioned over into math. So a lot of those components, if you teach Art and Gillingham principles, they also feel very familiar to you. And there is a reason why one of the person who Adrian has as her mentor is, a certified academic language therapist. So that is what she lives and breathes and was able to bring that into math. And how beautifully that has been translated into math. And I see, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me when you were mentioning that it was diagnostic and really looking at, you know, at the assessment piece, but also you had made mention that there may be some areas of anxiety around that feeling towards math. So I'm sure that really comes into play in a lot of what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. We've seen some really bizarre behaviors too, where that anxiety comes into play. We've had students, they're doing just fine with the assessment. 
And then long division comes up and they run away from the camera, literally leave the room because they can't do it and they don't want to feel stupid. Or we have kids who grab a blanket, hide it over the camera. Like now the teacher can't see me and I can hide from, you know, this embarrassment that I don't know how to do something. So we try really hard to create this environment where they feel safe, where it's okay to make mistakes. Those things are really, really important. And it's fascinating to watch the skills they're learning with us start transferring into other subjects too. That's what we hear from parents across the board is that they just start becoming a confident learner. They overcame this really scary thing called math. And now they're kind of curious, like, well, what else can I do? How, you know, what are the other things I can learn? They, they feel more empowered. They understand how the brain works. That's amazing. I love hearing that you can see it translating into other subject areas. So we know the that there are so many benefits to this approach, but I, just specifically, if you could just explain to our listeners, how can a challenge learner benefit from this particular approach to teaching math? So what are the benefits? Yeah. So earlier I mentioned that when we do multisensory math simultaneously, we're tapping into those senses, really increasing opportunities for the brain to hang on to that information that's coming in. One result we've seen is that students who come to us and learn using multisensory math, they retain that knowledge longer, which is interesting. Sometimes what happens is they'll come for remediation, you know, intervention. We get them to grade level, they go back into the school setting, but the school's not using multisensory math and the student is not making the same progress anymore. And every time they do the testing, they've got up to where they left us, but are struggling to retain future concepts built on top of that, which is really fascinating. Now that example was with a younger student, but when you're older, middle school, we don't see that problem as much, but when you're younger, getting those uh, principles put in through a multisensory way really makes a big difference. The other thing too, that makes a, a huge difference is that we go at an adequate pace for students. When students come to us, we do not do homework help. We are not here to help you stay afloat in your math class. So that frustrates parents like crazy. Sometimes we'll get middle schooler student who still have gaps in subtraction, for example. And so we will stop, go all the way back and start working on subtraction and start moving forward. And at first the parents are highly skeptical. That just seems like a waste of time, but they, we hear this time and time again, the grades start to get better in mathematics. So you really have to trust the process that this multi-sensory method is gonna work for them. We're really helping fill in those gaps or as Marilyn likes to call it, unfinished learning. Because math is so sequential in nature and it builds upon itself. If you have gaps, you have a really un, you know, unsolid foundation and we yeah. wanna make sure that that knowledge is getting in there in a way that they can access and retrieve with ease. Whereas when it's more abstract, they can't, they can't retrieve like they used to. I really like that you mentioned that you're going at a pace that is working for that child so that we are really speaking to the individualized needs of the learner. So mm -hmm. I mean, once again, like everything that you're explaining is so, so similar to what we're doing in Norton Gillingham. And I just think that is just once again, honoring the whole child and where they're coming from and helping them on their journey towards mastery. Okay. I also wrote down, I loved that quote that instead of calling them gaps, calling them unfinished learning. Yeah. Unfinished learning. Isn't it better? It's just, yeah. 
It when is. I hear gap, I think like there's poor child's falling down in a hole and how sad right. is that? Yeah. But I love that Marilyn came up with unfinished learning because it's, it's so much more accessible. It feels a lot less scary, right? It feels more hopeful that, okay, we have a ways to go and we're going to get there, right? Yes, absolutely. So if we're thinking kind of about some of your favorite tools and strategy, what, what would you say are some of your favorites that you've learned in your training? Sure. So one of my favorites was supatizing, mm-hmm. still my favorite. So you may have never heard this phrase before, but supatizing basically means to see suddenly. And what the brain is doing, it's something we're all hard, hardwired with, which is why our business name is made for math. We're all wired for it. If you think about back when we were, you know, scavenging, hunting, those kinds of things, our brains needed to be able to see quantity quickly and identify which group has more, right? Or which one has less. And so the brain is wired for this supatizing activity. Now there's some debate about it now about the way we use it and the way we use it in teaching. And, and so those wars are still kind of getting settled out. But what we've experienced at Made for Math is that you can subitize the manipulatives you have in front of you into dice patterns. So it's dice pattern of five, tally marks, those kinds of things really help students quickly see the quantity and name it because we're tapping into something that's primal in nature. So we use that with little kids. We use that with older kids. If we're doing algebra tiles, for example, and we have an equation mat, if we subitize those quantities, they can quickly see zero pairs and it's a whole lot easier to solve than without the subitizing. Instead, if we don't have subitizing, they're counting with their finger which really slows them down and subitizing can increase that working memory capacity. So that is one of my favorite things ever. So if you're a teacher and you're thinking about it, like take the time, adjust some of your worksheets. You have some access to great curriculum, but they didn't subitize quantities on the worksheet. If you take the time to do that, you're going to help your students so much. It's such an easy little hack. Subitizing is king. I absolutely love it. One of my other favorite tools is language, which you ladies will get. So we have the language of the student, so how they're thinking about mathematics. Then we have the language of the teacher, and then we have the actual language of mathematics. So we try to teach at all three levels, and a big piece of that is doing word study. So subitizing means to see suddenly. How do I know that? From word study, right? Mm -hmm. So If you actually go to our YouTube channel, you can see some examples. We have like fraction in there, which means to break. We have percent, cent means 100, so per 100. And you can see some of those word study things. So our students are exposed to word study and language that goes at the right pace. Sometimes we talk too fast in mathematics. We gotta talk, pause, get the students time to digest what you just said and also provide them with a near point reference sometimes of that language. There's a lot of students with dyscalculia that if they don't have dyslexia, they are actually really strong in English and spoken word. And so if we can provide them a near point reference of what we're talking about written out in English, that is also helpful. Language is a huge, huge important piece of teaching mathematics. My other favorite thing is the near point references, which I mentioned, they're a very powerful tool. I'm using one right now as we're talking on this podcast. I have notes on another screen. I need that because let's be honest, being on a podcast can be a little anxiety provoking. Emily and Casey do this all the time. 
I do this maybe once a month. Like it's not as frequent for me. And so having some sort of notes helps relax me, makes my working memory work better and helps me remember what I wanted to say, right? And so the students need those same kinds of things. And a near point reference can be a math facts chart. It can be a graphic organizer. It can be a notebook with that language in there that, to help the students remember some of the language. So near point references are also one of my favorite tips. And I think everyone should have one. And then my last favorite tool is what we call focus facts. This is a game changer. Focus facts are basically, instead of teaching students all the multiplication facts of sevens, let's say, we don't wanna do that to them. That's too many to remember. So instead, we're gonna cut that in half and we'll work on maybe up to seven times three, maybe up to seven times four and work with those numbers. And our entire lesson is using those multiples over and over and over. And it does two things, gives them that structured practice, but it also lightens their working memory. So they can focus on the procedures of other things they're doing, like long divisions of pain, right? No kid likes long division. I don't even like long division. <laughs> There's a lot to remember. So for using focus facts, we can help the student master the procedure without having to worry about remembering their multiplication facts. That is a huge game changer. We use it all the time. I hear it over and over from my team when they come in and get trained that that's the first one that comes to mind. Focus facts, that if I just would have known that in the classroom, I could have done so much more for my students. So there's cool things you can do with that. Yes, teachers, if you're listening, it is a lot of work to get to that point. If you, know, if you have a class of 30, but I'm telling you it's worth it to give the kids the instruction with the facts that they need. And you'll see better mastery in the long-term. Yeah, these are awesome tips and strategies that you shared. And they're ones that I've used with, with my own children in the area of math, but especially the language piece for one of my children, the language component of math is very confusing. You know, I've done similar things, what you've done where I've done word studies and I even, she has a little Apple watch, you know, she can pull up her little anchor chart that I made for her because she didn't understand, you know, the, the language of the math was very confusing for her. And so she wouldn't, when she was reading her word problems, she didn't yet associate what one term meant to another one. And that was very frustrating for her. So I love that that is a large part of what your work um, entails. Yes. And word problems are tricky. I mean, you know, if you think about the word of, it carries a lot of meaning in mathematics. Mm -hmm. Yes. Not so much in English, right? So that is a doozy for kids with dyslexia. And another way that we solve some of those things is we use a program called Comps. And so I'll send you a link so you can link to it. But we have a, I interviewed the researcher for this, but she uses schema-based solving for word problems. Mm -hmm. And it is the best. Our students are obsessed with it. They don't want to do find the keywords or anything. You know, all the strategies we're typically seeing. Yeah. They want to use this. And what I like about it is it's building foundationally algebraic thinking through pictures. So you're using simple shapes, two boxes, word problems. Typically, you're either putting things together or taking things apart, right? And then we build in some of the other stuff with multiplication where we have a rate and we have our referent unit. So there's really cool stuff in there and our students don't want to solve it the other way once you learn it. 
So I'll send you the link to that and you guys can listen to the interview I did with her, but that is a game changer for these kiddos with dyslexia. It makes way more sense what they're doing. Awesome. I'm excited for that. Thank you. That, yeah, definitely. And then we can share that in uh, the show notes. And then of course, in our blog post, my wheels are turning as you were (laughs) naming off some of these strategies. Really, really interesting. All right. So let's see. So maybe by now, if you're a listener and you've been listening to to us talk about multisensory math and Adrian and sharing all of her wonderful background, maybe you want to get trained in multisensory math. So we are going to ask if someone out there that's listening today wanted to become trained in multisensory math techniques, what would you recommend? So kind of uh, lay out the pathway for that person. So there's a couple ways you could go. The first route, I'm going to preface with, I'm totally biased. (laughs) And that's okay. So you could come work for Made for Math. We will train you. You get paid to do said training. You get to work with students. Like you get to do all the fun parts of teaching without having to worry about running the business side. We've got, we got a lot of people that love that. And I love being part of a team and training is always ongoing in our team. We do trainings every single week about multi-sensory math and we keep up on the latest research and bringing that into practice. So you could do that. So that's my first bias route. I, I think we're awesome as a team. So <laughs> I welcome you. If you want to be part of a team, it's super, super fun. But then you could go through Marilyn Zecker. Marilyn has a couple of paths you could go. So you could work with her directly, or I shouldn't say directly, on demand is what I'm trying to say, where you could watch the videos and start applying with your students. Very affordable option. Or you could go through what's called asdec.org. And that option is more like if you need CEU credits or you need master credits or something a little bit more because you're investing a lot more time over there. So you could go that route. And so I actually went through ASDEC and got all the way up to that certification level. And just to help you grasp, like there are not very many of us out there. I think there's 10 of us that are certified instructors. It's a rigorous, rigorous process. So You do not have to go that far though. You could become practitioner just like you kind of did with OG. You have practitioner level. That probably would take three, maybe four years. Kind of depends on you because there is an hour uh, requirement for how many hours you get for certification. So there's that route. Um, And I also recognize that maybe you are limited in resources. So another person we'd love to learn from is actually Dr. Mahesh. Sharma, and he likes to go by Professor Sharma. He does these early morning trainings. It's like 7.30 or 8 East Coast time every single week. And he goes through the full progression of mathematics. So he starts in basic number sense. And then probably by the end of summer, he's in algebra, which is really cool. So you could do that. But one thing I will warn you that's kind of missing from some of uh, Professor Sharma's stuff is that language component because Marilyn has that cult training. Professor Sharma does not, but he he's using the same research Marilyn is, but Marilyn layered in the language part. But his stuff's really fascinating. So, and then there's always self-study. There's a lot of really great books that are out there, but obviously meeting with people and talking with people is probably my preferred and favorite route. There are other people doing trainings, like there's Marilyn Burns, there's 
um, wooden math, there's making math real with David Berg. There's there's lots of options and they all have their pluses and minuses. I, I Even Marilyn is not perfect. She's not perfect either. There is no perfect training. So you have to find which one works best for you. And again, I'm biased, I, me, uh, <laughs> Marilyn and Professor Sharma are probably three preferred paths I would recommend. That's wonderful. And I'm going to just, if someone were to pursue through ASDEC, so is there a practicum involved? Mm -hmm. So there's trainings and. Yeah. So how it starts is you go multi-sensory math one. And if you want, you can do two. Two continues at pre-algebra and above, but you could stop at multi-sensory math one. And then you can enroll in the practicum after that. You have to take the first class, then the practicum option becomes available. And so the first one probably takes three, four months, that MSM one. And then the practicum can take up to a year, sometimes longer. It just depends on the person and how many hours they can get if they're struggling to get students to work with. Okay. Just kind of depends on that. But then, you know, so I would say a two to three year commitment, you could definitely come out with that. Wow. Well, thank you. And so if someone went to the ASDEC site, it's A-S-D-E-C, they'd be able to find yeah, information there. And of course, mm -hmm. going to your site too, <laughs> make for map. <laughs> okay, so you, on your site, you um, provide information on how yes. a training is available. Okay. Yes, yes. It's You look on our careers page. Unfortunately, I can't hire in all 50 states. I have to be really judicious about which states we pick for various reasons that I will spare you, but you could go over there and look and see. We have a lot of Texas teachers, Casey, which I think is interesting. We've got a, quite a large team in Texas, which is yes. really fun. I'm not surprised on that level only because in Texas, you know, Maryland's had, has been here many times and there are, Texas has been having conversations about dyslexia. There was a dyslexia law that went into play in the eighties. I mean, this has been something that has been on people's radar. And, and through that, I think people have seen the need and the connection to math for a lot of our students. So I'm excited that, that we have that large group there. So thinking, so we kind of addressed like, what can we do as educators or those people that are seeking training? So on the flip side, what advice would you give to a parent who is trying to find someone to help their child with math? Sure, sure. So there's definitely some things to keep in mind. Um, one would be the severity of the math issues that we're having. They can range from mild to severe, obviously, and also the age of when you get identified as having a math learning disability. So that's important. And try not to hop from tutor to tutor to tutor, because consistency in instruction really matters, but also a big box tutoring center like Mathnasium or Sylvan or Kumon, they're not going to give your child what they need. That's more of the same. I would say that's more a better choice if you're trying to help your child move from, let's say, like a B to an A in their math class. But if your child struggles with how it's being taught in school, you're going to want to find a multi-sensory math specialist mm -hmm. so they can have consistent instruction. Also keep in mind that math anxiety can do a doozy, a number on your child. Sometimes it is just that. It's not even that a math learning disability was present. It's just the anxiety was really, really high. So that's a fascinating thing. 
And sometimes we don't know that that's what we're dealing with until we get a little further in and remediation goes really quickly. It turned out it's mostly anxiety. And so that's an interesting thing to keep in mind. And then motivation. If you have an older child, this is typically more of the issue. <laughs> so sometimes the kids do not want help. They are not interested in doing the therapies with you. And even if you try to bring your child, sometimes they're just not interested. And that's okay. Give them space. They will come around. I promise they do. And at Made for Math, if we see the motivation is a problem, we'll work with you closely to help you resolve that. And sometimes resolving that means pausing sessions until the kiddo's in a different headspace. So keep those things in mind when you're looking for a specialist. But then you also want to make sure you find somebody that's familiar with the latest research. For example, they might be a member of the Science of Math Facebook group. That is a fascinating place to hang out. And actually, there's quite a few parents in there. So if you're a parent, don't be afraid to go join it. There's some interesting debate over there, very similar to that podcast, Old Story stuff going on over there. There is a lot of research happening and they need, you, whoever you hire needs to be familiar with what's going on so that they can help get the best results for your child. And then obviously you wanna find someone that's teaching in a multi-sensory way, what we were talking about up above. And you parents are getting really savvy. The other day we had a phone call where someone called and said, do you use schema-based math solving for word problems? What? What? <laughs> what? Well, <laughs> yes, we do. I was so proud to say, yes, we do. And I can't believe you know what that is. That's amazing. So don't be afraid to throw some of these terms out. You know, the blog post that will be created for this podcast can be helpful to you, actually, in finding the right person. And obviously, you preferably want to someone who's had some training, had some mentorship, either from Marilyn or from Professor Sharma, or even Steve Chin is still doing some of that stuff. Love Steve, but he's in the UK. It's a little harder to connect with him because of the time difference. And then the other thing too, I would mention is, do they follow a systematic lesson plan? It's one thing to do multi-sensory math. Yes. But it's a whole other thing to have a systematic lesson plan. OG reading has a systematic way, right? We have the same thing from a woman named Joyce Steves, who was a professor at Johns Hopkins back in the 80s and 90s. And really fun side note, we found DVDs of her teaching her lesson plan recently, which is so fun. So we went and reviewed that and then also compared it against the current research to see if what she was teaching is still applicable. Good news, it is. So it's, it's the mirror image of an OG reading lesson we start with lots of warm up and reminding and getting the brain prepped and prepared for that new topic coming in at the end. And we practice, we only do new topics for 10 minutes. That's it. Mm -hmm. Any more than that, the student can't retain it. So it's, it's really important that we use a systematic lesson plan. So those are kind of the things I would recommend parents ask about directly. Yeah. Really, really interesting. I would love to see those videos. <laughs> <laughs> do a little they were really good yeah They're really good so helpful and yes once again we will make sure that this information is in the blog post so that people can just go right there and look I did not know about the science of math <laughs> Facebook go group. join the group it's fascinating and there's debate that goes on in there and some of it I'm like yeah I agree and some of it I'm like no I don't agree 
<laughs> don't agree with what you're saying. So it's a really interesting group to be a part of. Right. Well, that's why Casey and I have been really having more conversations and advocating for the science of learning so that we can yeah. be more inclusive of yeah. all the subject areas and really find the commonalities that we all need to be uh, learning successfully. Yeah. Because I really think, you know, even yeah. hearing you talk, Adrian, it keeps coming back to that direct instruction, that explicit instruction that we need to provide for our students to lay these foundational concepts, um, whether it's reading, science, math, for them to be able to really move forward in their own learning. So it is interesting. And that is one of the reasons why we keep coming back to learning, the science of learning. <laughs> right. And yes. we have an episode on that. If anybody's interested, I just can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's in season two. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we, whenever we have a guest, we love to ask this question, and that is, what books would you recommend? So give us some book recommendations so we can learn more about multisensory math. Okay, this is not light reading, just heads up. Okay. <laughs> so this is intense. <laughs> this one's newer. It's called Effective Teaching Strategies for Dyscalculia and Learning Difficulties in Mathematics by Marie Pascal Noel. And I can't pronounce the other name. It's like Giovanna something something. Anyways, they are over in across the ocean in Europe and they had their book translated into English. But the book is so good. Lots of diagrams, lots of ideas, research-based. It's so good. It's so good. So I love that one. And then there is Mathematics for Dyslexics and Dyscalculics by Steve Chin. And he lives in the UK. He's in his 80s. He's amazing. This is his fourth edition. He always tries to keep the research up to date. That's an excellent book as well. I highly recommend it. And then this one's for the parents. Discovering Dyscalculia by Laura Jackson. This book is so good and you're going to resonate so much with what she's saying. You probably were on a similar journey. And I love that Laura Jackson shares it from the parent perspective. It's just hugely helpful. It's such a good book. It's a short read. I think I read it in an afternoon, but it was wow, just empowering and exciting. And it's fun to, to see how she and her daughter have really learned how to manage dyscalculia because it can be quite crippling. So those are some of my favorite books that I would recommend. There are other ones, but those ones I think are the, the favorites. If I had to narrow them down, that's what I would tell you to read. Okay. All right, everybody. Make sure we check for those three. I love that you included one that's written for parents. That is just so, so fabulous. So I'm sure people who are listening today that have children in this area, learning difference, they'll want to check that one out for sure. Absolutely. I was thinking the same thing, Emily. So mm. wow. we'll make sure we have those not only in the show notes, but also on the blog. So, wow, this has been so insightful. I really think that our listeners are going to leave with a lot of nuggets of knowledge and, and also maybe some lingering wonderings to help lead them into learning more about multisensory math. So Adrian, can you tell us just a little bit, if people want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to learn about you? I know you said you have a YouTube channel, which we'll make sure we link. Um, I'm excited about that. Yeah. But what are some ways um, for people to contact you? 
Yeah, so obviously, if you go to our website, made for for math.com, that is our hub, you know, down in the footer, there's all the links to the socials down there. We're active on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. We have a newsletter that we send out once a month that's got all sorts of good stuff in there if you want to join our newsletter list. And one of the favorites of a lot of parents, you might feel overwhelmed and not sure if this, this method would work for your child. So we have a little quiz on our website. If you want to fill that out, it takes, I don't know, two minutes, but you'll have like clarity if that is what you should be looking for for your child. So be sure to check that out. And then a newer thing, last thing I'll mention, just to plug, we have a web series called Unlocking Dyscalculia where we're interviewing all kinds of people, researchers, people that do interventions, parents, we're working on getting students to come and talk about their experiences. So there's a lot of really, really cool stuff over there. And um, from what I'm hearing in the interwebs, people are really enjoying it. So there's a wealth of knowledge over there. Amazing. That's wonderful. So, so many different ways to learn more about what Adrian is offering and to find help for maybe for your own child or to learn more about training. Uh, we really, really thank you for just opening up so many uh, different pathways for us to learn about multi-sensory math. Uh, just when, and as I always listen to these episodes after they've been recorded and it will be, I'll be sort of just remarking on how many connections we see with the work that you do, with the work that Casey and I do. And I'm sure our listeners will as well and just appreciate uh, all the work that goes into um, what you do. And of course, for the science of learning. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much. We'll just remind everyone that we always have a blog post that accompanies every episode. You can read them at togetherinliteracy.com. Would love to hear from you if you have want to leave a rating and feedback or reach out to Adrienne, madeformath.com. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.